dismiss the kids there. You can go over to uh, your class over there, and we'll get you going with that. For those of you bigger kids, <clears throat> turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. Now, <clears throat> I believe that every message that you preach from the Bible is important. And I don't mean to be melodramatic this morning in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but probably the messages that we're going to talk about today and next week, and I'm not sure how many weeks it'll take to get uh, through this last section here, but probably as far as you and your life and the success at the judgment seat of Christ, of what you're going to do and what you're going to accomplish in your life, probably these two messages are probably going to be two of the most important messages you ever hear in your life. Now, that's not because I'm preaching them. It's just simply that I believe this. I believe that every child of God that gets saved in any age and dispensation, I believe that his number one function and his number one job is to find out where he or she is in relationship to the second coming of Christ and then understand what their job is in relationship to that. Now, let me say that again. And I want you to listen to me carefully this morning. I'm going to try to be <clears throat> very clear, but uh, i got a lot of things to talk about here, and, and, and it's, it's trying to put it all together that it, when it comes out, it looks like it means something other than just a bunch of uh, clatter. But... So, and, but I want to say that again. The job of every child of God from in the church age is to find out where you're at in relationship to the second coming of Christ. Now, I say that to say this. In the Bible, we don't know the day and the hour. There's no question of that. We do not know. The Bible says we do not know the day and the hour. There any, no Bible study will we have will you hear me get up and say, the Lord's coming back, you know, on this particular day at this time. Now, there's been guys that have done that down through history, and they look very foolish. But the Bible does say that Paul says to the church, of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Now, you may think that that's just a, a cliche, cliche statement, just kind of a statement that, that kind of gives you a general concept. But it's much more than that. It's like everything else I try to tell you about the Bible. There isn't anything that he says in that Bible that doesn't have some profound concept or meaning. He doesn't speak like we speak. When God says something, and it's, it may look like the most innocent thing in the world, I promise you there's something behind it that is very deep in its theology of going back to the Bible, of really teaching you some things. For instance, he says, of the times and the seasons, I have no need to write unto you. There's two systems in the Bible to figure out the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, when I say figure it out, I don't mean the day and the hour. He likens the second coming of Christ as a woman with child who is going to be delivered. And it, it's a picture of a woman with child who <coughs> comes to the point that she delivers a child. That delivering of the child is Christ's coming. And you're going to find in the Bible that, 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 that it talks about the times and the seasons. And you women that have had babies, you know that when you go see the doctor and he tells you you're going to have a baby, he gives you a due date. And yet, we all understand that that due date is, a, is not an exact date. Some women go over it, some women miss it, some women uh, don't make it to that point, and some women, very few women, have it on the exact day. But it isn't an exact science. He's not going to be able to uh, look at everything and say, okay, you're going to have this baby. But there isn't anybody who doesn't know that you're dealing with a nine-month period here. Now, you, you, you had a time period that you're dealing with. And in dealing with the second coming of Christ, you have a time element that you're dealing with here. It isn't like, well, yeah, you know, God could go back in a million years. No, 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 no. Just as when you go to the doctor and that doctor says you're going to have a baby, you know it's going to happen sometime within that nine-month period. If you go 15 months, we will see you on Guinness World Book of Records. You've got a time element that you're dealing with. And that time element is exact. And at the same time, that doctor can't tell you the exact day and the hour, but you know, you know that doctor will tell you you're getting close. You can't ride in a, an airplane now. You can't go on a trip. You can't do this. And he's telling you it can come any time without giving you a time, but you know the times and the seasons when a woman with child is getting ready to deliver. And in that same concept, Paul says, you're not going to know the day and the hour. God knows that. But you're to know the times and the seasons so that day doesn't take you unaware. So God gave the times and the seasons. In the time format, you'll find there's a day. You'll find there's a study about the days. That's time. You'll find there's a study about watches. That's time. Not watches here, but four watches. And you'll find that there's an hour study in the Bible that when you come through, you can, you can, you can understand in its entirety where you are at in relationship to the second coming of Christ. He says times and seasons. We have four seasons. Fall, winter, <laughs> spring, and summer. The Bible says the times and the seasons. Daniel chapter 2 talks about God changing seasons. And when you study your Bible, you'll find a system of four seasons in the Bible coming from Genesis to the end where the rapture takes place where God changes something four times to match up those four seasons. Now, we don't have time to get into all that this morning, nor is that in my point. My point is this. God told you and put in that book everything you needed to know. Did you ever look at the first coming of Christ? Did you ever notice the wise men coming from the east? How did they know where to go? How did they know to go to where, where, where they went? How did they know where to look for him? How did they know exactly what was taking place? How did they know even where to start out to come? You know why? Because they had the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, you can figure out 
Not the day and the hour that Christ is born, but you can figure out the times and the seasons about the approximate time with probably within two years. Those men believed the Bible. That's why they're called wise men. They studied the Bible, Daniel, and they knew from Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 2, they knew where he would be born, when he would be born, what to look for, and so they knew the times and the seasons of the first coming of Christ. And just like the wise men could figure it out from the Bible, the times and the seasons of the first coming, and they knew where they were at in relationship to it and came looking for him, you and I need to be able to figure it out for the second coming of Christ the same way. And you can. You can. You can. Now, when we started our study on Proverbs chapter 2, and it says this, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after, uh, criest after knowledge and lifteth up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Father, Bless us today. Help us to come to your word. Help us to believe your word and to search the scriptures, Father, because there lies the truth that we need. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. When we started our study on Proverbs chapter 2, I told you that it was going to bring us down to the two problems we have in the world today. And it is the two problems you have in your life today. It's the two problems that I have in my life today, and it's the problems that permeate our society and the world today, and it's found in verse 5. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. Now he says, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. Two things simply stated. The fear of the Lord is who God is. The knowledge of God is simply, what did God say? And that's the problem that we are all faced with today. Now, I don't want to deal with the second one today. We're going to deal with that next week. Oh, it'll be, it'll be quite powerful. Uh, but I want to talk about the first one today, and that is the fear of the Lord. Now, your ability to find God and find out what He said comes down to the, the things that we've talked about already. Receiving His Word, hiding the commandments, inclining your ear, applying your heart, crying and lifting up your voice, seeking and searching. We talked about how those things build the right attitude, it builds the right direction in your life, and God will reveal. In fact, He comes down when you read those things in the first four verses. He says in verse 5, Then, then shall thou. And I might say, and only then. The only way you're going to find out what verse 5 is all about is to accurately apply the things that we've talked about in the first four verses. And that's what we've done. That's why I've taught it to you. That's why I've laid it out. That's why I've tried to show you exactly uh, what you need to do and understand. Because that's what it's dealing with. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, that simply means that uh, it all starts with understanding who God is. There, you've, got to, you've got to accept this premise. You've got to accept the premise that God is who He says He is, and this is His creation. So therefore, if you don't find out who He is, you will have absolutely no understanding about what is going on in life and in your life and in the world today. Now, I want to define this for just a moment before we get into this thing in any depth. But that verse doesn't say that you're to be afraid of God. But it, rather it says you should understand the fear of the Lord. 
Now what does that mean? It means that you're to understand who God is. I've told you before, Isaiah chapter 41 through Isaiah chapter 48 are probably the eight greatest chapters in all the Bible where he goes through and he declares his greatness. And he simply states over and over again that you are wasting your time believing in other gods. There is no other God besides him. He is the only one. He is the great God. And he's on a course. And he's got a mission. And he's got a plan. And he is right on schedule no matter how it looks in our world today. We are so affected by circumstances because we are human. And as human beings, we have to deal with our emotions. And we all have to deal with that. And when we get our emotions involved with things, it becomes more complex. One of the things that the Bible does is help you keep your emotions in check by showing you what is true, not what you feel is true. Oh, write that down. And that's where we're at today. We live in a world, we live in a world that do not, that does not understand who God is. We live in a world that does not understand where America is in relationship to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is coming. Now, if anybody ought to get it, God's people ought to know it, but they don't either. And that's why we are, and I say we, I don't mean you. I mean Christians in a general perspective of the world. That's why God's people today have no earthly idea who He is. They don't know where they're at in relationship to the second coming of Christ. They don't understand and when they understand the issues. And when they don't understand it, then they get caught up in the platitude of Christianity that just portrays it like God is everything is fine and we're on our way. Oh, we got some problems, but God is there and God is God and greater is He than is in you in all the world. And that's all true. But you under got to understand where is God at today? Where is He at? What is He doing? I mean, when I go back in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells me that the Spirit of God moved. And when you study that movement, it moved east to west. And that Spirit never stops. It started out in Genesis, moving east to west, and it's moved east to west around this world, and it's, where is He at today? Where is the Spirit of God? You see, we think, well, the Spirit of God's in me, it's everywhere. Well, that's true. If you're saved, it is in you. But there's something more to it than that. God has a plan. And that plan has to do with what he's trying to accomplish, and that has to do with his, the movement of his spirit down through history and a directional path. And you and I understanding where he is, that you and I can better understand what we need to do. And the only reason God gave you the Holy Spirit of God after you got saved, well, not the only reason, but the reason God gave you the Spirit of God after you got saved was not to flit around and say, oh, I'm saved and greater is He that's in me is in the world. It was that your spirit could line up with His spirit to understand what He was doing and then better get in line with where He's going. Now, a great tool today for where we're at and talking about is Romans chapter 1. And I want you to take your Bible now and turn over to Romans chapter 1. We have to see Romans chapter 1. Because I'm telling you, when you come down to verse 5, and that's where we're entering into today, you come up against the two problems that we are going to face, and I'm telling you, I'm trying to show you the issues today that you and I are up against. I want you to see this thing clearly. 
I want us to understand it because it, it will, I promise you, it will, it will make you or break you at the judgment seat of Christ. Because we look around us today and God's people are as oblivious to what God is doing as the world is. Now the reason for that is this. We're Gentiles. And as Gentiles, we've got some problems. And all Gentiles have these problems. And Romans chapter 1 details the problems of the Gentiles. Now, there's only two group people groups in this world. I know you, you know you got Chinese and Siamese and you know uh oh not that's not Siamese. <laughs> you got, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Come on, quit laughing at me. I'm already emotionally distraught this morning. Anyway, you got all kinds of people. I'm not talking about that. You people, in God's standard, it comes in two categories. Gentiles and Jews. That's it. And you'll find that the whole world is broken down into those categories. Black and yellow, red and white, it doesn't make any difference. In God's mind, they break down into two categories. And Romans chapter 1 teaches us about us. You want to find out why we are the way we are? You want to better understand why America is the way we are? Romans chapter 1. Now, you want to find out why the Jews are the way they are? Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 1, he, he, he details the Gentile and why the Gentiles think the way they think and why they do the things they do. In Romans chapter 2, he details the nation of Israel, the Jews, and he shows us why they are the way they are. But oh, forget them. Let's just focus on us. Because what I'm about to read you is us. It is the Gentiles, and this is why we are the way we are, and this is why we have the problems we have, and you better get this down. You better realize the issue here as you and me in these last days, finding out where God is at and what in the world is going on, that we don't spin our wheels doing the wrong thing. Because, brother, the wheels are spinning. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God... They glorified Him, not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like the corruptible man, and the birds, and the four-footed beasts, and the creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own body between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use that was against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemingly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir which was meat, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. 
being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, hater of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now that's us. That is the Gentile mindset. Forget this morning that you're an American. Forget this morning that you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. Forget this morning that you were anything but a Gentile. Because you have to get to that level to understand where we are at and what we're dealing with and why that the real issue is today, we don't know who God is. Now, if there's any book in the Old Testament that goes along with this and shows us where we're at, and you don't have to turn back to it, it would be the book of Judges. The book of Judges, if you ever read it, is the weirdest book in the Bible. It's got stuff happening in there that makes you want to scratch your head. I mean, you got a guy back there in the last part of the book, and he's, he, he's, he's a godly man. And God's using him. And he goes out and he, he's going to do some great thing. And he says to God, God, I love you. And if you give me this and you give me the victory here, when I come back to my house, the first thing I'm, I see, I'm going to offer up to a sacrifice for you. And he comes home. Lo and behold, what's the first thing he sees? His daughter comes out of that house. Hi, Dad, how you doing? Missed you. You know what he did? He sacrificed and killed his own daughter. Now, people don't want to believe that today. In fact, if you go to Bible college, you know what they'll tell you? They'll tell you that's not right. i got books in my library. I've been taught half my life listening to guys preaching that thing. Well, that's really not what happened. You know why they say that? They don't understand it themselves. It seems absolutely incredible that any good, godly man would kill his own daughter. And he, where does God require that? And you know what they do? I've heard them teach this. They'll say, well, that's an unfortunate rendering. And that's really not what took place. If you really go back to the original and you study it through, he really didn't sacrifice his daughter. He sacrificed a rooster. Oh, yeah. I was in a class one time where somebody was laying that stuff out. And I raised my hand. I have gotten in more trouble in my Christian life raising my hand. And I want to know, hey, do you ever see me get mad when you raise my hand about something I say? That's what we're here for. I wanted to learn. I said, sir, I, doctor, I've got a question. He said, what is it, son? And I said, now my Bible says that he killed his daughter. You say it's a rooster. That's right. He said, the greatest scholar in the minds in the world have come to that conclusion because that just doesn't, that's not God. I said, okay, fine. Well, could you explain the next couple of verses? Because the Bible says that we got a rooster going up and down the mountain for 60 days bewailing her virginity. <laughs> but you know what? You know how many people would hear that guy say that and never bother about the next couple of verses? They just buy it. Why? He's a professional. He's the guy. We're paying him $6,000 a year to train my kid in the Bible. No, you're paying 6,000 years to destroy your kid's faith in the Bible is what you're doing, but that's your business. I want to know. Hey, you know what? I don't care if it's a rooster. 
You think I really gonna weigh up tonight if, it, if, it, if I find out it's a rooster? I don't care. It can be a rooster. I just want to know how a rooster bewails his virginity for six months. That's all. That's okay. Don't get mad, sir. It's a rooster, it's a rooster, it's a rooster. But show me. Show me how a rooster goes up and down the mountain saying, Oh, I'm never going to be married. I'm a rooster. Oh, oh, come on. And I heard him say, I've read the book. This can't be God. So there has to be some other explanation because God wouldn't do this. Oh, you find weird stuff in Judges. You know why you find weird stuff in Judges? The whole book of Judges comes down in the light of one verse found in the last chapter. You know what it says? There's no king in Israel, and every man's doing what's right in his own eyes. Certainly God didn't tell him to sacrifice his daughter. Certainly, and he did. And it wasn't a rooster. You go back here to 5 Samuel chapter 4, the roosters are accounted for, all of them. He killed her. He killed her. And he gave God the glory for it. And God wasn't anywhere around. You know why? Because in the book of Judges, like today, everybody's doing all the things in God's name. The only problem is nobody knows who God is and there's no king in Israel and everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. That's where we're at. And Romans chapter 1 shows that it doesn't take much for us. Because we're... We're pretty sorry out people anyhow. Romans chapter 1, that whole thing shows. You know what it shows me? It shows me, and I, we don't have time to go to the whole chapter, but it shows me a couple of things. It shows me, first of all, in verse 20, that God is revealed. God reveals Himself to man. He revealed Himself to man. You know the next thing it shows me? It shows me that not only did God reveal Himself to man, but verse 21, they rejected God after He did it. Not only did God reveal Himself in verse 20, did He get rejected in verse 21? <laughs> in verse 22, He got replaced. They changed God's glory. They changed it. And not only did they reject it, replace it, but in verse 23 to the end of the chapter, they reviled Him. They hated God. Now that's where we're at today. If the book of Judges teaches one great truth, it teaches the law of human collapse. And that is this. If God doesn't inject Himself into man and society, God's way, through the Word of God, man is going to collapse. Now, He isn't going to collapse because He just... He's going to collapse because He's going to have God all around Him in His mind, but it isn't the God of the Bible. And when he thinks God is doing this and God is doing that, let me tell you something. God isn't doing anything. Man's doing it all. I'm not saying there isn't people getting saved today. Hey, there's a study you can go through the Bible that shows you how God is doing it the way He's doing it in the latest in church age. Found it a couple weeks ago. Knocked me off my chair when I saw it. I've been in the Bible 35 years and I never saw that. It just floored me when I saw it. You're going to pay some money to get that bit of truth, I'll tell you. By the hour. He says down here in Romans chapter 1 that the Gentiles are in a mess. 
And if God doesn't inject Himself into it, it'll never happen. And what does God do? God reveals Himself. God rejects it. God gets rejected. He gets replaced. He gets reviled. Verse 25 says, They change the truth of God into a lie. They worship the creation more than the Creator. Verse 28 says they don't even want to retain God and their knowledge. Get rid of Him. Verse 30 says they're haters of God. And yet, look at verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Watch it. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They got the Word of God all along. They just hate it. They just hate it. Now, if you want to understand the fear of the Lord, you have to understand that in the day and age that we live in, there is no king, there is no authority in the United States in our lives, and we are doing religiously what we want to do and giving God the credit for it. That's why you see some of the biggest messes you have ever seen in your life. I'm telling you. That's why everybody is hopped out about the movie, The Crucifixion of Christ. And I'm not fighting. You know what? It is what it is. But let me just tell this to you. If you go see that movie and it does more for you than reading a book does, you got a problem someplace. There's nothing that should stir our hearts and our minds more than the absolute standard that God has given us. And I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Now, I want to explain fear of the Lord for you and for me, because I don't want you going out of here, because a lot of God's people do. <clears throat> they, they're, they're afraid of God, and as a Christian. <clears throat> Let me tell you, this is the best thing I say. I fear God, but I'm not afraid of God. I fear God as a Christian, but I'm not afraid of God. I fear Him for who He is. I fear Him because I know what He's capable of. I fear Him because I know what He is going to do and I know that He's got a plan and Katie bar the door of anybody that's going to stop Him and you get in your way and you are going to get crushed. But I made my peace a long time ago. I'm not getting in His way. I'm getting on His bus. So I'm not a, I, I, I don't fear Him. I mean, I fear Him, but I'm not afraid of Him. I know who He is. And I know for me, I'm his child. He's my father. And I know as Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 says, there's times that he has to whip me. Times he has to deal with me. Times that I won't do what's right. That God has to come down and chastise us. But even in that, the Bible says that no chastisement for the time is grievous. But afterward, it yields peaceable fruit. Even in that, God never hurts me. Only does things to help me. So for you and for me, I'm telling you, God is not looking to whack you. Preachers use that as a, as, a, as a tool to control you. If you don't do this, God's going to do this, He's going to do this. That's crazy. You need to understand who God is and where you're at in relationship to Him in every aspect. But oh, I'm telling you, you need to know where we're at today. We're in America. And you're in Christianity and you need to realize some things this morning because I'm telling you, America has fallen into the trap of Romans chapter 1 just like we do. And you know what the real problem is in our world today? We're afraid of everything except what we ought to be afraid of. 
Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, what a great principle. It says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not, but not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. All day long, we are afraid of everything in this world that we should not worry about. And we're not afraid of the things that we should be afraid of. And that's God Almighty. And the bottom line in this world, uh, and, I'm, and I'm talking about the world and the Christian world, we don't understand the fear of the Lord. We don't understand it. We don't understand that the Bible says that God judges nations just like He's going to judge individuals. And we're a nation that has, does not know who God is. And the bottom line is in our government, we, we don't know. I'll tell you, I have never, I've never seen, and America is going to pay the price. And I believe she's already beginning to pay that price. But I think America is going to pay the biggest price that you ever saw in your life. You know why? Because down through history, you study history, I don't know any other nation. I don't know any other nation that goes on the same parallel with the nation of Israel other than the United States of America. In the Old Testament, God had a plan for the, for, the, for the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, God had a plan, and He wanted the United States to carry it out to the end, and in both cases, they failed. I, it, it absolutely terrifies me. I mean, they both started, America and Israel both start with the Word of God. That's not true of any other nation. Germany didn't start that way. England didn't start that way. Every nation on the face of the planet started with a church state. They may have got the Bible somewhere in the process, but there is no nation on the face of this planet that is its beginning and its exception have God and the Word of God other than the nation of Israel and the United States of America. I'm telling you, we look up in, the, in all of the depravity of what's going on in our country and our world today. We look up there, you know, and I'm telling you, and we look up there in those wicked schools, uh, every place, we, we think of Harvard. What do you think of when you think of Harvard? How about Yale? How about Princeton? You see, we're living today in 2004, and we look at Harvard, we look at Princeton, we look at Yale, and we don't understand. You realize those colleges were started to train missionaries to the American Indians? My God, what happened? They didn't start out being the baskins of humanism. They didn't start out teaching the filth that they teach today. Harvard was started to train missionaries to the American Indians. Right where you're living right now, Princeton and Yale were formed to take young men under the preaching of Whitfield and Wesley and, and, and Jonathan Edwards and were formed to train young men to send them to the American Indians to reach them for Christ. What happened? Do you know what happened? Do you know why? Well, I promise you, if you don't, you probably don't understand where you're at today and why it took place. Oh, I look at England and how God used them. But England was very small. England spread the word to three quarters of the world. But England was never going to be able to do what she needed to do. And God had a nation on the horizon that could. Who has more natural resources. Has more land grab. A country that was built and founded on the word of God. Without the persecution of the Roman Catholic Church. Without the inquisition of Spain. Without a king or a queen to put them under some kind of religion's dominancy. It was free with a Bible they believed that was God's word. To take it to the ends of the world. You know what John MacArthur said at the end of World War II? 
We just beat Germany. We just dropped the bomb on Japan, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And he was the, he was the military governor to reinstate Japan as some kind of worthwhile nation. And Truman said, what do you need? What do you need? Tell us what you need. You know what he said? He said, send me 10,000 missionaries. Did he get them? But I'll tell you what we sent. Baseball. Hot dogs. Soccer. Rock and roll. Elvis Presley. Oh, we sent them some stuff, all right. We had a chance in this country to finish off this world for the sake of God, to fulfill it. And this country said no, just like the nation of Israel said no. And you know what? God's getting it done in spite of us. But please, 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 don't you think for a minute that God has any interest in America or that God is going to bless America. We hear people get on there saying all the time, God bless America. Why should He? Why would He? Is God going to bless a government that is more worried about being politically correct than biblically correct? Hey, we use God as a catchword, as a phrase for votes. We get up and say, God bless America. And all the stupid Christians out there say, oh, he's a Christian. Well, maybe he is. But let me tell you something. You do what the Word of God says. You don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. The president gets up and he, and I'm not fighting anybody. I don't care. I love them all. God bless them. But you know what? I know where I'm at. I know what I'm dealing with. When a president gets up and says, we're going to amend the Constitution to make sure that everybody understands that one man and one woman is the marriage, and that's the way it is. And we're going to move, and I urge the states to move to pass legislation that will ban same-sex marriages. Whoa! Onward, Christians, so His truth is marching on. Oh, by the way, but I am not against same-sex unions. You know what you just said? Nothing. You know what you just said? You said what was politically correct to get the votes you want. You know what you said? You just said, God, oh God, ooh, here, put you on that little kicking tee. Here you go, God, through the goalposts of life, and you kicked him right out of this country. You say something like that, well, I, and don't, mis, don't misunderstand me. I'm for same-sex marriages. Oh yeah. Homosexuals, I'm all for them. You mean you think it's right? No! I think they're going to go to hell and burn like a torch. But I'm for them. Why? Well, how can you? I don't understand. How, I don't understand how a preacher can just say that. Because you don't know where you're at. Those queers and homos are the greatest prophecy about the coming of the Lord you can find in the Bible. As it was in the days of Lot. they got to be here. There isn't a country on this planet that ever got to that. Did you ever read Romans chapter 1? Do you see where the thing digresses to? It is men leaving the natural use of women and women with women and men with men. And it's over! What do you think about gays and lesbians? <clears throat> Donnie now ye gay apparel. Fa la 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 la. That's where I'm at. It's over! What is your problem? It's over! 
You're looking at a country that, is, that hates God, that replaced God, that reviles God. And you're listening to people say, God bless America. He ain't anywhere around other than the hearts of believers that believe his book that are trying to understand. But they understand you're in the last moments of the last day, of the last hour before he comes back. I don't care if every man marries every man in this world. Gay Pride Week, go for it. I could care less. My King is coming and you got to be here with your filth and your ungodliness as the fulfillment of that prophecy before He comes back. Come on out of the closet. Show the world. Make fun of me all you want. My big brother's coming, buddy, and he's going to straighten it out. Queer on. I could care less. I got a Bible that says, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And it says in Lot, in that day, they were giving in marriage. You think it was husband and wives in Sodom? Oh, my friend, I told you, this is probably one of the two most important messages you'll ever hear in your life. And I'm telling you, I learned something this week about the Bible. I was coming through that thing and I found a place where it says that we are not only to listen to what God says, but it's also how we listen to what God says. I'm telling you something. The downfall of this country will come. It's on its way. And I'm glad. Because I just can't think of anything this world has got better than my Jesus coming back for me today. I can't think of anything better than it. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You've got dumb people. You get on the thing there and they talk about age. Age. Well, you know, I just think the AIDS epidemic, the AIDS, you, need to, you don't understand your Bible very well, do you? You had to go back in the Old Testament and see the diseases he gave those queers in the Old Testament. I mean, you do know where AIDS comes from, don't you? You know where syphilis comes from, don't you? It didn't come from any union between a man and a woman. It came out of the Roman Empire with a union between a man and a sheep. And AIDS come into this world. Oh yeah, you won't get it on the website. AIDS come into this world because of a union between a man and an ape. God bless America. You think 911 was just, oh yeah, hey, let me tell you, you think God doesn't judge America? He does. He is. But oh, it ain't nothing to what's coming. People are stupid. They're absolutely ludicrously stupid. I don't even know if that's a word, but it flows. They are so, when it comes to understanding where God is and who He is. I remember the movie Titanic. Wasn't that a heartbreaker? My best part was watching that old boy just float down through that bottom, just keep going down, and you couldn't see him anymore. I thought that was neat. I see Hollywood portrays it. Oh, they always do. Hollywood betrays that big old grand ship. 
going out there in a love story between two guys, two people, you know, and how they find it. And she's got the big old diamond or whatever it was at the end, you know, and she drops it over the fantail of that ship and it goes down. And you don't see it, but he's down there going, you know, trying to grab that thing. No, I wasn't. That's Hollywood. You want the Bible version? You know what America was like in 1912? America had just come out of the Industrial Revolution. Everybody had a job. Everybody was working. And nobody needed God. And they built, a, they built two Titanics. One was called the Titanic, and the other was called uh, something else, the Gigantic, I think it was, or Gargantua or something like that. Or the, it, it, but they built two of them. Oh, yeah, they built two of them. You know what they said in all the newspapers? You know what they all were saying? They're saying, we're so great. We build ships. Look at that Titanic. Look at the gigantic. You know what they were saying? They said, and she's so wonderfully made that even God himself couldn't sink her. Now, don't ever put God to the test like that. Not if you're going to sail on it. <laughs> Maiden voyage. I mean, did you ever see the pictures of the iceberg after? I mean, not the movie pictures. That iceberg was as was big as ten houses. Two lookouts. I mean, you couldn't miss it. It was there. You know why they missed it? Because God said, miss it. Object lesson. Judgment on any country that thinks they're more powerful than I am. You know what that thing did? It brought, them, it brought some countries back to their knees in a revival. You know who John Harper was? Do you care who he was? John Harper was a Scot preacher from Scotland, was on the Titanic. He drowned it on the Titanic. And a man who survived that thing said that John had given his life vest to somebody who didn't have one. And this guy, when the ship went down, they jumped into the water. <clears throat> oh, this guy's floating around in here and he's screaming, Help me! Oh, God! My God! Help me! What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he said, I never saw the guy. But he says, out of that mist and out of that fog, I heard a voice with a thick Scottish brogue say, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thine house. That was the last thing John Harper said, and he drowned it. You think he had it figured out where he was? Everybody else is, oh, they're on the boat playing, near my God to thee. Yeah, that's a good song to play. It wasn't too near to him when you built it. But oh, how disaster comes when you try to get near to him. That's the way our country is. That's the way we are. We look at the AIDS epidemic. We look at disasters across this country. We look at the things that happen where thousands of people get killed. And we do not understand because we don't understand God. We don't know how it operates. You couldn't go back in the Old Testament and find the judgment of God if your life depended on it. And it might. And you go back there and you just think, oh, what is happening? What is happening? Oh, what is happening? Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 28 says, but thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished. It's cut off from the mouth. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. Truth is perished. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 1 says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of the Lord, and that cover with a covering but not my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Remember Romans chapter 1, verse 20 down there, inventors of evil things? 
America has a covering. But it's not God's covering. Go back to John chapter 15. Look at Israel. Israel, the Bible says, had a cloak that covered its sin. Its cloak was religion. It talked about God. I hear these guys all the time. Well, America's a Christian nation. You realize that in the, the Congress and the Senate, before they open the Senate and open the Congress, they pray to God. Well, where's that record? Star-spangled banner and that other stuff again. Put it on one more time. They have a chaplain. The Senate has a chaplain. The Congress has a chaplain. You know what his job is? When you're invited to go to pray there and open it up, and they invite people. Big preachers get to go. And when they get to go, you get a little thing in the paper that says, please submit your prayer before you get there. And we want you to pray and bless God, but don't bring up the name of Jesus Christ, because that will offend too many people. Use God all you want. Oh, that's the, that, we have a cloak in this country. We cloak ourselves with God. We have a covering, but it isn't God's spirit. We cloak ourselves. We, we, we pretend that we're religious. We pretend that we believe in God. When Romans chapter 1 says we have replaced Him, we revile Him, and we hate Him. And I'll tell you something else. Not only is there no knowledge of God in our government, and we are, I'm telling you, kids, it's over. It's over. It is over. You are in the last moments of the last day before he comes back. Oh, you, it, it, every time I hear a preacher on television talk about, well, God could send one more great revival to America, I just about get on the floor and have a heart attack laughing. There's a man who does not understand who God is and where he's at. It is over. I'm not saying you don't have church. I'm not saying you don't win as many people as you can. I'm not saying that. I'm standing out. Your job and my job is to understand where you are at and I am at in relationship to His coming and then do the work of an evangelist. Not live our lives like we're going to be down here forever. There's no knowledge of God in our society. Romans 1.28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. There we are. Oh, we make such a pretense. During the Super Bowl, the big, the big deal about, about uh, Janet Jackson. Oh, I mean, oh, the next day, oh, oh do something. Oh, my, oh, just get people calling in the radio. Well, my kids, I, 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 first of all, you know what? I was watching the Super Bowl. I never saw anything. The TV cameras cut it off. They caught it quickly. You know who, you know what made it so big and everybody understand it? it? Was the news media. Like Janet Jackson and what she did. Oh, it's just, we can't take it anymore. We, hey, look, ten years ago, I was sick. And I, w I was home. And I decided to do a little study. I've always wanted to do it. I just never get sick. But on this day, I got sick. And I watched television for 12 hours straight, flipping between the channels with a notepad. Ten years ago, 12 hours. In 12 hours' time on a television, I jotted down 65 murders, 68 divorces, 18 rapes, 21 chainsaw-type massacres. I really like those. 22 cases of incest, adultery, and child abuse. Ten people were eaten alive by animals. Those were pretty good, too. Ten years ago. Ten years ago. It's everywhere. 
Let's don't, it's don't kid. But you know why? It's an election year and people want to get elected and they, want, they know this thing about family values and they could care less about family values. I promise you not one thing will change in the industry anywhere, shape or form. It's all gas, hot air put out because you want votes. Nobody in this world cares about family values because very frankly, this nation hates God, reviles God, replaced God and dumped God. Now you've got to figure that out. There's no king! And everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. I, I, I watched with a 9-11 disaster. And I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I feel sorry for anybody who got killed. I do, I do. And I'm not saying everybody who got killed was against God. I, you, there's, there's, sure, you got to understand where I'm coming from. I'm just saying, God judges nations when they dump His Word. And I saw people afterwards, you know, why? Why, God? Why did you do this? Why, God? Why, God? I remember seeing a picture one time of some homosexual that was emaciated, ready to die. And his eyes were sunk back in his head. And his hair was gone. And he looked like he weighed about 16 pounds. And they were holding him up with his boyfriend with tears running down his face, looking into the camera saying, why, God? Why, God? Why would you take from me the one person that I love in all my life? Why? Why? I'll tell you why. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Get it! You think God just up there saying, oh, look at all that sin going on down there. Oh, wow. God judges nations. He's holy. And I'll tell you something else. There ain't no fear of God in our churches and God's people's lives either. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer it to yourself. What is the purpose of the church, the body of Christ? What is the first and foremost purpose of the church? Now, I know there's lots of answers. But the first and foremost, and we're going to get into this next week. We're not going to talk about it today. I'm going to give you the answer. And then we're going to go through it next week. I'm going to show you how. You know what the... You know what the you know what the fundamental number one job of the church is? The number one fundamental job of the body of Christ is to be the custodian of the Word of God. And I'm going to show you that next week. And once it has the Word of God, the Word of God tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that that book is great for a lot of things. But the first thing that is listed that is profitable for is doctrine. What is right what is holy, what God constitutes as absolute morality and truth in this world. Then the third thing is for, He gave some pastors, teachers, evangelists, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, the church, God intended it to be the one place in this wicked, vile, godless world that goes through the process of debauchery to reject God and everything that God is and to wind up hating God. God wanted the church to be the one place of bastion of truth that you could come and hear absolute perfect morality and truth. Let me tell you something. The no spin zone isn't with O'Reilly. The no spin zone ought to be right in here. No spin. Exactly what the Word of God says. <clears throat> you know what? <clears throat> when you lose the book as a church, <clears throat> you become political. You have to to survive. <clears throat> 
Then, as the government is politically correct, <coughs> you preach politically correct messages. That's why, when's the last time you heard a good sermon on hell someplace? When's the last time you heard somebody just get up there and rant and rave about people's sin in their lives? And When? When? You know why? You don't. Because if you do that, people get mad in this society and they don't come. And when they don't come, no bucks, no bucks, no buck rogers. When you got to maintain and protect your income on what you preach, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And what happens is, churches become like the governments. I don't know if you ever saw it or not. On Sunday morning, I usually catch it. Out in L.A., there's this big church. This guy's got 25,000 members. And I'm telling you what, it's incredible. It's like, a, it's, it's, it becomes a, a government. No Bible, political. You get to be a deacon, you get to be something, it's because of your political contacts. How much money you give, how much money you got. Your spirituality and your worth is based on not who you are, but what you can give. Oh yeah! You buy those offices, oh you don't go up and say, here, here's $5,000 for your building program, $5,000. Here's $100,000 for your building program. Well brother... I feel God's calling you to be a deacon. I'm telling you. It becomes political. And they, they run their churches like corporations. And the pastor lives like a king. If Jimmy's mad and leaving, we're in trouble. <laughs> pastor lives like a king. He has nothing that he needs. The church gives him a house. They give him a car. I'm not talking about a car. I'm talking about a car. Lexus. Cadillac. Why? Because he's a preacher. He gets a three, four hundred thousand dollar house. He's the preacher. We pay him a, a great salary. Well, he's the preacher. I mean, we, we, he gets so much money in the budget every year to travel around to all these conferences to learn more about God because he's the preacher. We'll give him an expense account. When he takes somebody out to eat or has this or entertain, entertainment, that will, and he has everything he wants. And we'll even give him so much money that he can buy so many books a year to build his library. Because he's a preacher! Let me tell you something. Going on record. You church, this church, pays me a salary. When we started our church... We had our little meeting together. This church didn't have very much money. We feel we needed a full-time pastor. I told you. My wife and I had beat I bite the bullet when the church could get back up to speed just to pay me what I was making when I quit. That'd be fine. But and, and that, You know why? Because a laborer is worthy of his hire. But I'm telling you right now, this church won't buy me a car. Nobody buys you a car. Nobody buys me a car. This church won't buy me a house. Nobody buys you a house. Why should you buy me a house? I won't have an expense. If I take you out to lunch, I guarantee you, I will pay for it. You, the church won't. It's, 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 why should, nobody pays for yours. Did you hear that last part? <laughs> I'd like to say it again. We have preachers come in and speak sometime. We take them out to eat afterwards. The church pays for his. I pay for mine. You know why? Because the moment you start getting to the place where you give me everything, the first thing that's going to happen when I start living higher than you is I'm going to lose touch with you. 
And how am I going to teach you about faith? Well, I have everything I can want, and I don't have need of nothing like the latest in church. How do I stand here and teach you who are sweating out car payments? You know what? I'll go to the bank and get a car loan just like you have to. I pay, when, when, my, when my basement floods up, you know what? I'll just, I'll, I'll just deal with it like you deal with yours. I mean, I appreciate your concern, but I don't want everybody saying, Oh, oh, quickly, call 10,000 people. The women, you pray. The men, grab your buckets. The preacher's house is full of water. Let's go help him. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> hey, I'm the same as you. We're in the trenches together. I want the same mud on me that's on you. I'm no better than you. And when you start living like that, you forget the God that has to meet your needs. And some God, God has to take it all away before you understand that. But I'm telling you, I understand it. And I'm telling you, these churches, they get become like political organizations where the preacher's the king and it's all run by the little nobles that are in the little kingdoms around it that keep everybody in control. The power of God is gone. And they cloak themselves. But oh, their messages are very carefully politically correct. I don't want political correctness in this church. I want biblical correctness. And I said everything I said about that, mark it down. Tell you something. Five years from now, ten years from now, this church really gets going and blowing, and it will. If you fear me up here saying, Oh, thank you for this. Oh, thank you for this Cadillac Seville. Thank you. Oh, thank you for this. How did you get the ribbon around that house? You head out of here because your preacher just went with the rest of them. I ain't no different than you. We're in this together. I told you when we started, we'll sink or we'll swim, but we'll do it together. We will. We will. And I'm telling you. And then you got the little churches. They don't have the big power base like the other ones, but they're like little third world country run by dictators. Oh, the preacher, he ain't a preacher. He's a, he's a Mussolini. He's an Adolf Hitler. He just says, big smile, big smile, but it's the same thing. <laughs> big smile. I love you, brother. Big smile, big smile. Oh, man. Hey, you know what? You have rules you've got to keep. And you better keep them. You don't keep them. You know what happens in third world countries, don't you? You get executed. Oh, yeah. They come and get you in the middle of the night. Oh, they don't kill you. Well, they do in third world countries. They don't care. They just assassinate your character where you're ruined. You don't have the, you don't have the luxury to agree with a preacher. Or disagree with a preacher. You do here. And these guys are so afraid that you're going to go somebody place else. I know one preacher that won't let his people read, listen to any material other than what he puts out. You can't. He gives you a book, a list of books you can't read. He don't want you learning anything other than what he gives you. You know why? Because he's the dictator and he wants to make sure that nobody rocks that kingdom. And he's scared to death, as they all are. 
that somebody is going to come and steal my people. So I'm going to put them under bondage. A bondage of love. I'm going, to, I'm going to put them under bondage where I'm going to scare them and intimidate them. I ain't going to teach them nothing except keep the rules. No slacks. Do this. Do that. Shirt and tie. Cut your head or right leg. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Forget the Bible. We are cloaking today. I often felt like these churches... Did you ever see Mel Brooks' movie, History of the World Part 1? My favorite, and it's got some irreverent parts in it. Don't misunderstand me. I don't like it all. But one part was, was the best part. It's when Louis XIV, king of France, he's standing out there, and a guy runs up and he says, Your Majesty, Your Majesty, the people are revolting. He says, Why? I love my people. Pull! And a peasant goes flying across the thing and he goes, <laughs> That's churches today! Preacher, people are upset. Why? I'm the pastor. I love my people. Pull. <laughs> Load another one. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You know what? And I'll tell you the truth with this. I don't worry about you leaving. In fact, I'll tell you this. Bottom line. You find somebody to teach you the Bible better than me, love you better than me, spend time with you better than me, you'd be a better the first one out of here to go be with them. That's your job. You find the best guy that will give you everything God says he's supposed to have, and then you line your life up with him. And he keeps you accountable, you keep him accountable. It's a two-way street. There's no kings here. There's no kings. Though there is a queen. There's no kings. <laughs> you don't understand how many points I just made by saying that. <clears throat> You also don't understand how bad I needed to point this morning. <laughs> Boy, don't tell me I ain't suave, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You see, I'm not here to control you. I, I, don't, want, I'm not, I, I don't want to find out how much you can do for me. My job as pastor is to be your servant, not you to be mine. I'm to be your servant. This church needs to be the one place in this world where you can come to get the no-spin zone. This is, church needs to be the one place where you can come in a world that is upside down and crazy <clears throat> that you can get truth. And you have to get it from a man who never loses his perspective of truth because he gets taken care of so great and so big that he loses touch with the people and suddenly he becomes the God unto himself and the king. And now he does all the things that he wants to do because he, I'm telling you, you, it can't ever happen that way. It can't ever happen that way. My job is to perfect you for the work of the ministry, to edify you. I'm not here to hurt you. I, I'm here to teach you right and wrong, to help you raise your family, to help you love your wives, love your husbands. And when you understand the fear of the Lord, you don't, have to, you don't have to fear anything. I'm not afraid of anybody leaving. I don't have to corral you to the place where, well, you, lead, you listen to that tape, well, I don't, you know, that's another preacher in his town. You listen to, I don't, hey, you know what? I'm telling you. If you find somebody to take care of you and your family is spiritually better than me, I implore you, that's where you need to be. But I'm telling you, you need to understand where we're at. Guys, it's over. This isn't a church. It's a lifeboat in the sea of filth. 
And we need each other. The last thing you need is a preacher becoming like them. Or a preacher needs you becoming like them. We're in this together. And we occupy the we comes. We don't run around saying, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, and, and let me say this to you too while I'm thinking about it. When you call me, and a lot of you do, on the phone for Bible questions, please quit saying, I'm sorry to bother you. Please. Well, Bob, I'm sorry to bother Well, I'm sorry to bother you. Well, I'm really sorry. No, I'm really your sorry to bother you than you were to bother me. That's my job. But you're so busy. That's my job. You say, but yeah, but you're, you're praying. I'll stop praying. If the dogs are playing ball, it'll be time out. No problem. There's nothing more important than the people of God's people. And when you got a need or you got a problem, you don't, you know what I hate? When I have something wrong in my house and I call somebody, I hate getting put on hold and going through 9,000 prompts. Whatever happened today when you just got to talk to somebody that was alive? I call somebody up. Press one. What would you like? Three nachos and a tacho and a bagabogandi, I guess. I got the wrong place. You're speaking Spanish. You can't even know what's going on. Then you say, if you have a problem, press one. If you're dying of a heart attack, press two. If you have an appendectomy problem, press three. If you're already dead, just hang up and don't worry about it. I mean, it's incredible. I just want to talk to somebody. And you know what? You, if any place you have a right to get what you want when you want it, it's here. I'm serving you. You're not serving me. Sure, we're in this together. Sure, but you know what? You're, 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 you and me, we're, we're financing this place together. We're putting our tithes and our offering. This is our labor of love for God. What's wrong with us? We've taken everything. That church out in L.A., I watched them pan the crowd. When a preacher preaches, big screen up here with the Bible on it. They pan down through the audience. There wasn't one person had their Bible in that church. You know why? You don't need to bring your Bible anymore, people. We'll put it up here. Songs up there. Not one song book, hymn book, any place in that place. You know why? We'll make that real easy for you, too. We'll take all that labor out of you. You don't have to bring your Bible. Now, I know some people still will, but you know what? You give human nature, Romans chapter 1, a way out not to bring your Bible. You think you're going to bring it? I wouldn't if I was just a, a, a normal Christian. No, too heavy, man. Why should I squint? I can just look up there, and that thing translates into your mind. And now, I heard him last couple, three, four weeks ago. Now, I couldn't believe it. Now they said, you know what? We have just, he's always preaching about money. Every place he goes, I don't care. It, you know why? He's got an agenda. He's politically motivated by being on television. And you know what? You come down to the place where he says, now we've got it all figured out, ladies and gentlemen, where, you know what, starting next week, we will direct deposit out of your paycheck, your tithe. We even take everything. You know what? I, I hope you pray over what you give to God. I hope your tithe or whatever you do or whatever you don't do isn't just a, well, here it is, Lord. I hope that you look at it and say, God, use this for our little church. Use this. Help us do this. Help us do that. But you see, out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. Make Christianity so slick, so quick, so fast. Nothing you've got to worry about anymore. We'll take care of everything. Just show up and give. Oh, then, when you've got a problem, Pastor, 
My son in jail. Pastor, my wife thinks you're going to leave me. Pastor, uh, my kids really having a problem. Pastor, you know, oh, really? Mm -hmm. Well, you see brother so-and-so down here. He takes care of that. Well, you're the pastor. I know, but I'm pastoring. You have to take care of that. What are you pastoring? What do you mean by you pastoring? I'm a nationally known person. I'm flying out 10,000 places next week. I got people all around this world wanting to hear me. I don't have time for your book. So what we got him for? Go down there. But pastor, I tithe. I give this to you. I, I want you to study me the Bible. Will you help me? I listen to you preach, and you're such a good preacher. Would you spend an hour a week with me every week in the Bible? No, but uh, he will. Well, what about you? Don't you understand? I'm the pastor. I don't do those things. What do you do? I pastor. What do you pastor? I pastor. What do you mean, what do I pastor? The squad's coming to get you tonight at midnight. <laughs> what do you mean, I pastor? What, what is this, man? We're in it together, guys. I'm telling you, you need this message today unlike you need anything else because I'm telling you, we are in the last moments of the last seconds before Christ comes back. It's over. I mean the homosexuals, the same-sex marriages, it's rampant. And he said, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall... It's here. It's, it's, oh, it's here. <coughs> it isn't going to change. <coughs> it isn't going to reverse. The Republicans aren't going to win again and bring family values back. Let me tell you something. You want family values? Go to the Channel 59 and watch the old 50s movies. That's the only place you're going to find them. It ain't going to be anywhere else. Not in this world. Not in this society. There is nothing going to change because this God revealed Himself. This country rejected God. They This country uh, threw God out. They don't want to retain God. And they hate God. They revile Him. And all the time we've cloaked ourselves with a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. And I'm telling you, we have a job to do. We have a job to do, and that is to love each other and understand what we are. We're here in these last days. We're here in these last days. I don't know how long, day and the hour, times and the seasons. And I know this. I know when the last four seasons, I know when the last season started. And I'm telling you, you all that watch thing where those workers are told to go in in Mark chapter 16 and work, to work and that time thing has broken down through the years of time I know when the last workers went in I'm telling you you better come to the place where you realize where you're at in this country and in this world and in this thing called Christianity and you better get reality you better understand you know what this job of a church is simply the basket of truth where you get whatever you need and that's what it's here for. In these days where there is nothing stable and there's nothing right, there needs to be a place where you go that you get it right across the plate, waist high. You may not always like it, but you know what? It's always good for you. Now, next week, we're going to get into this concept. We talked about <clears throat> understanding the fear of the Lord. Now we're next week we're going to talk about what did God say. And the question is simply this. In the day and age that we live, do you have what God said? That's it. That's it. Let's pray. Father.